With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. The Agent Podcast. I'm John Miller, along with Steve Dace, who is on location. Uh, Steve, let's jump into, I think, the big news of the day, at least right now as we record this. Finally, Iowa gets word that TJ Hawkinson would be joining Amani Hooker, Anthony Nelson, and Noah Fant as early entrance into the NFL draft. We'll talk more about early entrance to the NFL draft in the Bigger Ten podcast this week. But Tom Fornelli of CBS Sports tweeted this out today. Hawkinson and Fant combined for 88 catches, 1,279 yards, and 13 touchdowns, or in another context, he says, that's 36.4% of Iowa's receptions, 43.4% of its receiving yards, and 48.1% of its receiving touchdowns. And when you consider that Nick Easley had over 50 receptions as well, A, Iowa's passing game is losing a lot of production, and B, the passing game is going to have to look a lot different next year, likely going through receivers as opposed to the tight ends. Well, and that's where I would defer to you, brother, uh, on who's in the wings to take over that spot. You know, normally I would not be concerned uh, about Iowa having to replace tight ends because we've just, you know, we've, we've seen them do it repeatedly. And, and we've seen guys that most people didn't know who they were, whether it's George Kittle or um, how they, Brandon Myers from PCM Monroe. Uh, you know, these guys go on and, uh, you know, they earn massive paydays in the NFL. So I, I would defer to you because I first heard TJ Hawkinson's name from you about this time last year. Uh, and you were hyping him up throughout the course of the offseason. So whether they've got people in the pipeline that can take over that kind of production um, is up to you uh, to tell the audience, not me. But that is extraordinary production to, to, it, it, and it's it's the fact that it's from two tight ends and not from a couple different wide receivers. That's what I find fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how many years of the Kirk Ferentz era where two wide receivers combined for nearly 1,300 receiving yards. I don't think it's happened all that much. Obviously, Marvin McNutt, you throw his, you know, a 1,000-yard-plus year out of the mix there. But, I mean, Sean Byer. And then, you, and, then you, and then you saw the quarterback struggle a lot the next year when he wasn't in the lineup is what you saw. Oh, there's no doubt. Um, having great tight ends eases a lot of pressure on a quarterback. Sean Byer who was injured late in the year. His name is going to be in there. Nate Weeding, who is more of a blocking tight end. Uh, Drew Cook, who has a great family tight end legacy name, but you know we haven't seen anything from him. 
Um, Rob Howe mentioned that he likes Ben Subert, who who turned down offers from North Dakota State and Northern Iowa and others to walk on. But then you're down to incoming freshmen, Logan Lee and Josiah Mayaman from Dunlap, Illinois. And if, if you're hoping that a freshman can come in and play a pivotal role, I mean, Tony Moyaki did. Uh, I think Brandon Myers played as a true freshman, and Kirk Ferentz would always joke that uh, – you know, he's glad he wasn't investigated for, you know, child abuse, something along those lines for putting him in way too early, much more, much earlier than he was physically ready for. And, and these are the reasons why, Steve, that you know, hopefully you find some confidence there. You're not going to have a tandem like what Iowa had. Noah Fant was one of the most difficult tight ends to match up against in Big Ten history. Period. He was. TJ Hawkinson, I said back in August, would have a better statistical year. Not because he's a better pro prospect or faster or stronger or whatever, but because Noah Fant was going to get all the attention, and that's what happened. So I think it's going to have to come from the, the receivers. Well, when you look at their NFL draft stock, what I what I think is fascinating is they both come out of the same college system, but uh, they schematically are met to play in different systems in the NFL. Uh, I mean, Fant is kind of what the tight end position is becoming now in the NFL, where they're not really asking you to do a lot of inline blocking. And a lot of it is, is more of a glorified H-back or a hybrid receiver position. Uh, to me, he's the higher ceiling guy, but I think he has the lower floor as well. So I, I think one guy has perennial all-pro potential or bust. And then when I look at TJ Hawkinson, I, I see a guy that – you know, this was the old Madden game where they used to give you the, the ratings cards for the players. I don't know that he have a nine or a 10 in any area, but he wouldn't have like anything lower than a seven either. He's just really good at everything, not necessarily special, though, at anything. And so I think that's a guy that if you draft him, you know, you just kind of plug him into your lineup for five or 10 years. And he maybe maybe makes a Pro Bowl or two, but is a very effective player, uh, both uh, in terms of his blocking and his ability to catch the ball down the field. So I, I think it really just comes down to uh, what your offensive scheme is, which is rare. I mean, you don't typically see two guys playing the same position coming out of the same college program, but are, are really when they get to the next level are, are really not necessarily um, fits. Uh, across the board, but I have different styles that fit different schemes at the next level. Yeah, it's uh, an embarrassment of riches, but it's all gone there. So we'll have plenty of time to digest Iowa football and, and what's lost. We'll also talk a little bit about the returning talent for Iowa. It may be better on the macro than some of you are thinking. We'll talk about that more in the upcoming Bigger 10 podcast, looking at some of the uh, numbers and analytics that Steve has been tracking in recent years and put together. And I, I think it's his analytics or his formula, whatever you want to call it, is actually performing uh, rather well. Let's talk about Iowa basketball. Steve, one week ago, or eight days ago, coming off getting absolutely blitzkrieged, in West Lafayette, there was a, a lot of negativity uh, around the rest of this season. Oh, boy, here we go again. The defense was horrible. I think it was down to like the 120s or 130s with regards to defensive efficiency. Uh, it was not good. It looked a lot like Iowa looked last year at times. But then they hosted Nebraska, a team that the analytics really, really love. They're, mm -hmm. they're like top 15 in the new net rankings. They're 15th uh, in Ken Pomeroy's rankings. Iowa beats them 
to 84. Then Iowa goes into Northwestern without Tyler Cook and beats them 73 to 63. And then at home uh, with Tyler Cook being gimpy for you know the last six, seven, eight minutes of that game, Iowa handles Ohio State 72 to 62. And back-to-back of their two best defensive efforts they've had in two years, they've made it jump up to 80th in the defensive efficiency rankings to go along with the 16th offensive efficiency ranking. And all of a sudden, this toughness that we thought we saw in Madison Square Garden when they won back-to-back games against Oregon and Connecticut, all of a sudden, this toughness has returned. Yeah, I mean, if if Iowa is is going to be a top 100 team defensively, and I think that means more this year uh, than it meant even last year. I mean, your 272 is what Iowa was in defense at the end of last year in Ken Palm. Uh, I mean, there's there's what 350 Division One basketball teams. I think Iowa had the lowest defensive efficiency of any power five program in the country last year or the, the second lowest. And, and that's with the bulk of your schedule against, a, you know, conference opposition that placed four teams only in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, if there's a way to say they were worse than 272, I think I just did. Okay, I mean, it's tough to say, boy, 272, I think we were overrated. <laughs> but when you stop and look at it, yeah, I mean, that's that's always bad, but it's an even worse 272 than you think when you look at, you know, the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee viewed it as a down year in the Big Ten. Well, likewise, this year, if there's a way to say, well, we're, you know, we're 80th in the nation in defense, but we're underrated, then I, I think the inverse is true this year uh, when you look at the overall strength of the league. And and you just mentioned the net rankings, and this is something we're going to be talking a lot more about these next couple of months because I, I'm operating under the premise that those rankings are basically going to tell you what the framework of the, of the 38 at-large bids are going to be for the NCAA tournament because I don't know why you'd be updating those every, every 36 hours and publishing them all the time. Uh, and, and making that your proprietary formula if you weren't going to use it. And for you know our listeners that are just now, this is kind of the week that a lot of college sports fans make the, the transition from football to basketball. You know, the net rankings are, are, are it's more complicated than this. But in general, it's a combination of what Ken Palm does with what the old RPI did. So in other words, you know, Ken Palm can be a predictive model, um, but you know, if you if you have a team that like my Wolverines did last year gets hot at the end, it did it doesn't predict that as much as it assesses how good you are right now. All right, and so what the what the RPI did was assess how good of a schedule you had played until this point. And so what these net rankings do is they take those me- efficiency metrics, like what a Kempom does, and then applies it to the old RPI strength of schedule formula, which was quadrant one, two, three, strength of your schedule, opponent's schedule, your opponent's opponent's schedule on down the line, and out comes these net rankings. You're right, the net rankings at Nebraska's 15th heading into t- tonight. At the time you and I are recording this they're they're winning at indiana there's pretty much been seven big 10 teams minimum in the top 25 of these net rankings since the start of the year uh two of them in the top seven which kind of emulates what you're seeing in ken palm uh and and so you know you've got iowa right now 28th in these net rankings and if iowa can if iowa finishes at 80th in the nation in defensive efficiency playing 20 games against the big 10 
And then you're also talking about a top 20 efficiency offense. I mean, we're not a, you're not a bubble team. You're, you're, you're not even uh, worried about not getting a first round or, or having to play a play in game. We're talking about a team that you, with, with the firepower Iowa brings to the table, if they could be a top 80 defensive team, we're talking about a team that might be, might have a chance to play, to get a buy at the, at the beginning of the big 10 tournament. Uh, so I think, th- I think the middle class of the big 10 is really strong. And what you're looking for is what do you do special or different to differentiate yourself from those teams? I think when you look at all the analytics and all the metrics, uh, it's pretty clear Michigan and Michigan state, at least right now, unless there's a key injury on one of those teams and uh, Michigan state has more depth this year than Michigan does. They're kind of the inverse of the teams they were last year where Michigan was better man one through nine, but Michigan state had the better starting five. This year, it's kind of the other way around. Michigan State's better man one through nine, but Michigan has the better starting five. And you're seeing Michigan State now putting up 80 points on Ohio State on the road with Javon Langford, who's a, a top 20 scorer in this league, not even playing. He's injured right now. Uh, you know, if Michigan were to lose one of their big three scores, it would hurt them more than Michigan State. So barring something like that happening, those two teams right now look like they're kind of at a different level. And then you've got seven or eight teams that on any given night look like they could be ranked anywhere from 10th to 50th in the country. And, 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 and Iowa is in that group. And so if you can do something that differentiates yourself from the rest of those teams, because that's where the bulk of your resume is going to be put together. That's where the bulk of your your conference competition and your big wins are going to come from is playing those other teams in that group. You know, the, all if you look at all those teams in that group, they're all really good defensive teams. Some are OK or pretty good offense offensively. Some are not any good offensively at all. You saw that with Ohio state where they came in with decent efficiency numbers, but you're going to start seeing teams are kind of figuring out now that it's Caleb Wesson. And then really they don't have another, another number two option. Uh, and I think Iowa exposed that Rutgers exposed that. Uh, in fact, you know, playing on the road in this league, you know, I, I would urge Iowa fans and fans of any team in this conference, not to overreact to anything you see on the road this year until Michigan state won at Penn state yesterday. We had not had a team in this conference that when it had to play back-to-back road games, won any of those games. They were 0-8 going into uh, Penn State losing or Michigan State winning at Penn State yesterday. So road wins in this conference against absolutely anybody are going to be at a premium. So what makes Iowa special in that middle class group, John, is they're the one is they are easily the most explosive offensive team in that middle class group. So they don't have to be great defensively and they probably can't be because you still have the question of the lack of quickness there at the point. But if you can be competent, if you can be not embarrassing, if the effort is there, well, then you bring a specialness to the table that the rest of those teams in that in that middle class, which are still, you know, teams that are top 25 teams, you bring something to the table in terms of offensive explosiveness that really the those other teams don't. I mean, you don't, you don't have a, a tandem like Juwan Morgan and Romeo Langford, but Indiana doesn't really have a third score after that. And so what you're watching with Iowa these last couple of games is they've got other shot makers besides Tyler Cook. Uh, and I think that's that's the number to watch. If that, if that def- defensive efficiency number, if you and I are sitting here on, on February 14th doing this podcast or around there and Iowa is still below 100 in the defensive efficiency, then 
then this is going to be this might be the one of the, the the one or two teams that separates themselves from the pack in that middle class. There's no bigger fan of the Iowa Hawkeyes than Iowa's premier dish retailer, Big Dog Satellite and Solar. If you can't watch live, there's no better way to record every game than the Hopper from Dish. Search or call Big Dog today and ask for the Hawkeye Tailgater Special. And this is what you and I talked about from last April forward. If Iowa can just be an average to slightly above average defensive team in Power 5, that they were going to be in the tournament. And uh, don't think there's any doubt of that at all. You'd mentioned Nebraska. Um, you know, I, This week, Iowa on Wednesday night plays at Penn State, and then they play at home against Illinois. Two of the uh, teams in the bottom of the Big Ten standings. Iowa absolutely has to go two and zero in those yep. games because and after by the, the way, so does everybody else. By yeah, the way. that's true. Yeah, because after that, Iowa's schedule is home against Michigan State, at Minnesota, home against Michigan, at Indiana. That's I mean, that's a possible zero and four burger looking you right in the face, and then you're then you're five and seven with Northwestern and Rutgers back to back after that. So I think if Iowa gets to nine, they're going to be in the tournament. Hopefully, um, it, it's more than than just that. Uh, there was something in the Big Ten standings. Oh, yeah, you'd mentioned Nebraska. They're likely going to move to three and three, and Indiana's also going to likely move to three and three. And when Iowa played against Purdue, uh, you know, nine or ten days ago, they also didn't have Luca Garza in that game. Luca Garza just he. he he makes him a different. He makes him a different team. But I'll yep. also give Ryan Creener some uh, some props. That guy has been a catalyst for them in this three game winning streak. And you mentioned something to me uh, during the Iowa game the other day. You texted me something about Joe Wieskamp's game that you really like. Well, on, on Garza, what I see with Garza is I see a guy. I, I see a guy that does for Iowa what Mo Wagner did for us. I, I don't know that he's ever going to be as explosive attacking the rim as Mo, but I actually think his shooting touch is ahead of where Wagner's was at this stage. Uh, of, of their respective careers. And when you can force the other team to take their four or their five and put him 20 feet away from the basket to defend him, that's just a matchup nightmare uh, at every level of basketball. But what I look about, what I love about Wieskamp, dude, he is just a dog. He is a son of a, you know what? I like him. I mean, he just has, he just has some up yours. We'll, we'll, we'll tone it down for the kids listening here. He's got some up yours to his game. Uh, and I like that. And I think that is the kind of edge that um, the Iowa program has not always had uh, in, in recent years. And I, and I think that's that's and you can see in the way he's fearless. You can see in the way he has no problem taking big shots, the way he attacks the basket. Uh, I, I think he brings it. And this is something I loved about Pemsel. I think Pemsel has a lot of that too, and he's kind of. But he, now he doesn't have close to the athletic, um, the overall ceiling that that Wieskamp brings to the table. But the, he, you know, Pemsel was kind of a glue player that I kind of liked for Iowa. Did the stuff that no one else wanted to do. Wieskamp's too skilled to to relegate him to that. But some of the that mental toughness and and uh, and and some of that. Um, that uh, screw you uh, that that pencil bring that you're missing with pencil out of the lineup. Wieskamp brings that to the table with, with a much higher ceiling of a skill set at the same time. It's it's amazing looking at the Pomeroy rankings. Every team in the Big Ten is in the top 80 in adjusted defense. That is, the, I don't I don't know maybe 
Not That's exa- why I said, hey, if you can bring something different to the table, you know, I, I sent you two factoids. I, I was delving into the Ken Palm ratings last yeah. night. And, and, you know, here's what I found. And so all he's got, he's been doing this since 2002, every year, but one. And the one exception was the year uh, that UConn went on the run uh, when Kevin Ollie was the coach and they were like the sixth seed and they won all those games in a row at the end of the year and, and then won the tournament. Okay. With that one exception, every year since 2002, the national champion was in the top 20 nationally in both offensive and defensive efficiency in Ken Palm at the end of the year. And we're sitting here now. We're, we're just past the halfway marker of the college basketball season. There's only six teams out of 350 that right now are in the top 20 of both of those, and two of them are in the Big Ten. Three of them are in the, AC, are in the ACC, and then Tennessee out of the SEC is the sixth. But here's what's also interesting. I looked and looked at all the teams that have made the Final Four since 2002. 28 teams out of the 68 Final Four teams since 2002, 28 of those teams were not uh, in the top 30 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. And so I think there's a lot of teams in this league. And and I found years where there were teams that weren't in the top 50 or 60 in either one, in either one that made the final four. So I, I think that when you look at the overall depth in our league this year, John, and, and if you get the right draw, I, I think there are several teams in our league this year that could make a final four run. And it, it, it's as difficult as it is to win six in a row. It's hard to win four in a row as well. But uh, the, the, the pool of teams that can accomplish that, I think, is obviously a lot wider. And, and I'm telling you, I'm not, no, I, I, if I've looked at the draw and everybody's healthy, and you're dealing with an Iowa team that is going to be that could be top 80 in defense with what they bring to the offensive table. I wouldn't think it was nuts at all that they could win four games and get to a Final Four. All right, that will wrap up this installment of the HN Podcast for Steve. I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.